Thank you so much for joining us today at our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. We're in part 16. Part 16. Before this series, I've never done a series more than five weeks. We're in part 16 of the book of Acts, and I've got through eight chapters in 16 weeks, so uh, we're kind of going at a slow pace, but are y'all learning something? Are you getting something out of this? Is it helping you? And so I'm trying my best to, to preach, but I'm also trying my best to teach and, 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 and give you some context, because text without context doesn't give us the right pretext to understand what God wants us to do. So I want to make sure I'm giving you the right context. We, the church now in Acts chapter Eight is six years old. In six years, up until Acts chapter 8, the church has not moved. They, they've stayed in Jerusalem. They have not spread. But something happens in Acts chapter 8. We, we see an execution. We, we see Stephen uh, is martyred. We see the church starting to, to scatter. And the guy that's responsible for all of this is a guy named Saul. Everybody say Saul. We're going to talk about Saul today. He's also known as Paul. We're going to talk about Saul. We're going to talk about Paul. And I'm going to tell you about his name, Saul and Paul. Saul was a strict Jew and he persecuted fellow Jews who came to believe in Jesus. That's what he did. He actually thought he was doing something great for God. He's responsible for the execution of Stephen. In Acts chapter 8, I just want to give you the introduction to Saul, even though we've read it the last couple of weeks. Acts chapter 8 gives us the introduction to Saul. And it says this in Acts chapter 8, it says, Saul approved of his execution, talking about Stephen. And there rose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered, everybody say scattered, throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. And then it says this, except the apostles, verse 3 says, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. And he dragged the men and women who committed themselves to prison. He, he, he was like dog the bounty hunter, y'all, kicking kick in doors. And it didn't matter if you were a man, a woman, or a child. If you professed Jesus, he would drag you off. He, he was uh, persecuting Christians. He actually thought he was doing God's work. But God had a different opinion. I want to read 19 verses to you this morning. We're going to just read 10 here, then I'll catch the other nine in just a few minutes. I want to read the first 10 verses of Acts chapter 9. It says this. It says, And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went into the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any on this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound into Jerusalem. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone on him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, speechless. Of course, of course they were. They, they heard a voice, hearing the voice but seeing no one. They're ha he's having a conversation with, with an invisible man. Of course, they were speechless. And Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days, he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. I want to preach a message to you this morning simply entitled, The Saul in Me. The Saul in Me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for the reading of your word. God, I pray that 
You open our minds to receive. God, you open our ears to hear. God, speak to our hearts, speak to our spirits today. God, we know that it's your word that never changes. So we pray by the end of this day, may we never be the same. In Jesus' name, if you receive that, say amen. Amen. The Saul in me. The Saul in me. Wait a minute. Y'all, Saul, Saul was, uh, he was responsible for murders. Right. Am I calling you a murderer? Am I calling me a murderer? I'm saying there's a little Saul in every single one of us. The Saul in me. The, the story, this narrative that we read in Acts chapter 9 is, is a narrative, is a text about a journey. Saul is on a journey. Saul has a purpose on this journey. Just because Saul has a purpose on this journey doesn't mean that's the purpose that's going to be the end result. Saul has a purpose, but God has a purpose on this journey as well. And Saul's purpose and God's purpose couldn't be any different. I say that because you're on a journey. I'm on a journey. I have a desired result for my journey. You have a desired result for your journey. But sometimes God's desired result and my desired result are different. We're all on this journey. Luke, Luke tells us about Saul's journey. He tells us that Saul was heading to Damascus. Damascus is 140 miles northeast of Jerusalem. And the reason why he's going there is to persecute Christians. That is the only reason why he is going. Look at the verbiage that, that Luke uses to describe Saul. In Acts chapter 9, verse 1, it says, And Saul, look at this, look at these next words. Yet say this with me, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Look at the vehemence and the intensity of the verbiage used to describe the actions of Saul, breathing out threatenings and slaughter. The, 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 the late great theologian Stanley Horton said it this way of Saul. He said the atmosphere of threats and murders was like oxygen that kept Saul breathing, meaning that Saul lived to kill Christians. Saul breathed as long as Saul had breath in his lungs, his his purpose, he thought, was to persecute religious people who found Christ as their Savior. That's, that's what he did. He lived and breathed to, to persecute Christians. Literally, the only reason why Saul was even ever going to Damascus, he, he went to the high priest and said, give me a letter to go because anybody that I find on the way to Damascus and in Damascus, anybody that professes Christ, I'm going to drag them out of their house, whether they're a man, woman, or child. I'm going to handcuff them. I'm bringing them back to prison. And, and if they give me any, any lip, I'm going to kill them. That, that's what Saul's desire was. That's what he would do. So Saul was a bounty hunter. Saul would go from, from, from city to city seeking anyone who professed Christ. And, and that's why he's, he's going to Damascus. But we read that God had a different plan. So Saul has a plan on, his, on the road to Damascus, but God has another plan. And, and something happens as he approached the city. In Acts chapter 9, verses 3 and 4, it says, Now he went on his way. And it says he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? This is actually the voice of Jesus. Why would Jesus say, why are you persecuting me? Because he's persecuting the church. Listen, if you persecute the church, you're persecuting Jesus, right? Jesus said, whatever you do to the least of these, you've done unto me. Whether that's give them a cup of water or, 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 or assault them. Whatever we do to someone else, we're actually doing to Jesus. So he, he's persecuting 
the church. And we, we know the story. If you've been around church long enough, you, you, you know the story. This is the conversion of Christ, of, of Paul, of, of Saul. We, we, we know he's going to get knocked off of a horse. He's going to be blinded. And, and then we know that the ministry of Saul is going to start right there. And it's, it is a credible story. How many of you know the story of Saul, of Paul? Raise your hand. You know, you know the story. Okay. Let me just kind of give you just a little bit of background information because a lot of times we preach this conversion and, and a lot of people will say something like this. Uh, on the road to Damascus, his name went from Saul to, how many of you thought that? That's not true. That is the biggest myth in Christianity. Many people think that on the road to Damascus, Saul had a name change. Saul never had a name change. Saul, most people think Saul's name was changed from Saul to Paul. Watch this. Seven years after the road to Damascus, seven years, we're, we're now in Acts chapter 13. Let's look what it says. And seven years later, it says, but Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. What, what am I telling you? I want you to see this. Saul was a Jew born in the Roman city of Tarsus. Because he was a Jew born in a Roman city, Saul, like many people, had two names. His Jewish name was translated to Saul. His Roman name was translated to Paul. Same dude, same name, different, different translation. It's like if, if you live in Lafayette and your name's Richard, you go by Richard. But if you go to Chitania, they call you Richard. How I many you know what I'm talking about? Well, my, my name is Nick. They call me Nicholas. My wife is Rachel. We go to mission trips to, to Mexico. I'm no, I'm no longer Nicholas. When I go to Mexico, they call me Nicola, and they call my wife Raquel. Okay? We the same people. Nobody changed my name. It's just translated different. Y'all tracking with me? So for seven years, Paul goes by Saul because he's primarily speaking to Jews. He doesn't use his Roman name Paul until he starts taking the gospel into Roman territories and he wants to adhere to Roman people. So Saul never really had a name change. He just goes by different names. That's why Saul says, I try to be all things to all men. So sometimes I'm Saul when I'm talking to the Jews. Sometimes I'm Paul when I'm talking to the Romans. When I'm in Lafayette, I'm Richard. When I'm in Chitania, I'm Richard. Y'all tracking with me? Does this, does this make sense? So, so here's what I want you to see. Write this down. Saul doesn't have a name change, he has a heart change. That's what salvation is. It's, it's, a, it's a heart change. It's, it's a conversion. When you, listen, if your heart doesn't change, you ain't saved. It's, it's a heart change. It's, it, it's not, a, it's not a, a, a word change. It's not, well, I, I, I'm, I'm saying things different. No, no, my, my heart actually changes. So, so his heart changes. And 23 years after his heart changes, after his conversion, he's now one of the greatest Christians, in my, my opinion, to ever live. He's preaching the gospel. He's planting churches. He's making disciples. And because he's doing all this, the guy that used to put people in jail now finds himself in jail for doing the very thing that he used to put people in jail for. So he's in jail. He's in prison in Rome. The Jewish leaders who are mad at him because now he's Paul, the, the, the Roman, they're mad at him because he's preaching Jesus. The Jewish leaders go to the king and say, hey, we want Saul, we want Paul back in Jerusalem. And the king says, wait a minute, his name is Agrippa. He says, wait a minute, I want to hear from Paul himself. And so King Agrippa in Acts chapter 26, 
He takes Paul, Saul, whatever you want to call him, and he says, I want to hear your story. Now Paul is sitting before the king, and Paul has an opportunity to plead his case. And instead of pleading his case, y'all know what he does? He tells his testimony. And in telling his testimony, he says, let me take you back to day one. Let me take you back 23 years to Acts chapter 9 when I thought I was going to Damascus to kill some jokers called Christians. Let me tell you what happened to me. And he starts telling the king. And as he's telling the king, this is no longer Luke's perspective. This is now Paul's perspective. So Paul's going to add some details that we didn't read in Acts chapter 9. And here's what he says. This is Paul and his conversation with Agrippa. And this is what Paul says. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with an authority and a commission of the chief priests. And then he tells us the time of day. He says, at midday, O king, at midday. So this wasn't at night. This wasn't like in the middle of the night, like the moon got bright. No, this was at midday. How many know it's midday? At midday, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And we had fallen to the ground. I heard a voice saying to me, look at, in the Hebrew language, see, he's speaking to Paul's intellect in Hebrew, so he calls him Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then, look, watch this. Paul's going to add another detail in Acts 26 that Luke doesn't give us in Acts 9. He says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Watch this. It's hard for you to kick against, say it with me, the goats. It's hard for you to kick against the goats. In Acts 26, Paul tells us that Jesus tells him, you've been kicking against the goats. What, what, what does that even mean, to, to kick against the goats? What, what is a goad? I, I got a picture of a goad. We, we're going to put it on the screen. This is a picture of a goad. A goad was actually used when you were herding oxen or when oxen was, was, was yoked up and oxen was, was working. Because how many know Ox are stubborn. That's why we get the statement, you're stubborn as an ox. And so from time to time, the, the oxen wouldn't want to go the way that you wanted them to do. They wouldn't do what you were asking them to do. So, so the guy that was driving the oxen had an ox goad. He would take the ox goad, as you see, it has a spear on the end of it, and he would stick the ox in the rear end. How many know when you get stuck in the rear end, you start paying attention? But ox are stupid. Ox are stubborn. Stubborn. So every once in a while, the oxen would start kicking against the goat. Now, when it's just your rear end and you've got some cushion back there, you can take the goat in the butt. Okay? But how many know when you start kicking against somebody coming at you, sooner or later, you're going to get hurt? Jesus tells Paul, that's how stubborn you've been. You've been kicking against me. You've been kicking against the goads. You're, you're, you're so stubborn, Paul. You, you've missed it. You, you thought you were hurting Christians. You thought you were hurting Christianity. You were really only hurting yourself. See, God had been speaking to Paul through Stephen, but Paul kicked back. He, he, he'd been speaking to Paul or Saul through, through miracles to show him that Jesus was the way, but, 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 but Saul was kicking back. He, he'd been kicking, he'd been speaking to Saul through the Holy Spirit, but, but, he, but he kept kicking back. And what Jesus tells him is that because you've been kicking back for so long, you now have some self-induced injuries. The pain that you're feeling isn't from someone else. It's from your own stubbornness and pride. Listen to me, when you resist God, when you resist the Holy Spirit, when you kick back in stubbornness, the only person you're really hurting is yourself. 
He, he's kicking back. Don't, don't, don't tell me to do that, God. I don't like that rule. Don't, no, 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 no. And he's kicking back. Don't, don't tell me to do that in church. Don't tell me how to live. Don't tell me who to love. Don't tell me how to vote. Don't tell me how to think. I'm going to do it my way because this is the way my daddy did it. This is the way I've seen done before me. And so we start kicking back and pride and stubbornness. And I guess my question today is what areas of our lives have we been kicking back in? See, when, when God is trying to get our attention and we continually kick back, sometimes the only way he can get your attention is to bring you down. He, he, he literally brings Saul down. Maybe that's why scripture tells us that, that he gives grace to the humble, but he resists the proud. See, we can either humble ourselves or God will gladly do it for us. What areas of our life have we been kicking back in? What, what secret sins in our life have we been kicking back in? Say, well, one day I'll get it. One day I'll make it right. But God, it feels too good. Don't, don't change this in me, God. What areas have we been resisting, God? What areas have we been kicking against the goats? Whatever area it is, you will usually find pain in that area. I know we're living in a day and age, and I know we live in a world, y'all, where there's a lot of pain that comes uninvited. You, you were a victim. He ran out on you. She hurts you. They, they, they lied about you. And I, and I understand that. And I feel sorry when people do that. But do you, do you know that in my life, most of the pain I've experienced was brought upon by myself? It's, it's the ox goad pain. It's, it's the areas of my life where I didn't want to change, and I just kicked back. It's, it's when God's been speaking to us about an ungodly relationship or when God's been speaking to us about a secret area of sin in our life. But instead of humbling ourselves and obeying, we often harden our hearts in anger and kick back. And we kick back, and when we kick back, it hurts. It hurts, and you find yourself in a, in a, in a, in a deeper depression and, and worse pain. Why? Why? Does, does God's discipline not hurt? Of course it does. Does, the, does, the, does, the, does the, the, the goad not hurt? Of course it does. But listen to me. Our sinful pride hurts us more than God's loving prod. See, the more you resist God, the more hurt and pain you're inviting into your own life. And so because Saul resists Jesus, he gets knocked off his horse, literally. And he's, and he's on the ground. And God takes away his vision. But it gets his attention. Many times when God knocks us down, it's not because he's mad at us. He's trying to get our attention. Y'all know who God got my attention? Did I ever tell y'all this? It took, a seven, it took an 18-wheeler, a head-on collision on Highway 71, coming out of Bunky. Y'all, I met Jesus in Bunky. Jesus wants to get your attention bad if you're coming home from Bunky. On Highway 71, a head-on collision with a semi-truck. Why? Because that's what it took for God to get my attention. You can give your attention to God or he will get it himself. So he gets Paul's attention. And, he's, and, and this is what Paul said, or Saul, because, you know, he's on the way to the road to Damascus, but God's got a different plan. And he says, who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting. Now watch this. Jesus doesn't even change the plans. He says, rise and enter the city. Go to the place you were going to, but now I'm going to tell you what to do. You will be told what 
to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice and seeing no one. So Saul rose from the ground, and all those eyes were open. He saw nothing. They led him by hand, and they brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. No, notice the divine disruption. Saul falls down, is blinded by the light, and he gets up, and he neither ate nor drank for three, for three days. Now watch this. This is, the, this is the incredible part of the omnipotence of God, the uh, all-knowing power of God. God, can, God. God is omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's everywhere at once. All He's doing all these things at once. We pray to God like, God like we're the only one involved. And God says, for me to do something in your life, i got to do something in somebody else's life to get to you. So while God is speaking to Saul, he's simultaneously speaking to someone else about Saul. This is crazy. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus, verse 10, named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, this is while Saul is Jesus speaking to Saul, he's speaking to Ananias. He tells Ananias, uh, he says, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise up and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. So God gives Saul a vision about Ananias. He gives Ananias a vision about Saul. And he says, he has seen a vision named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so he might have sight again. But Ananias answered, wait a minute. I know about Saul. I know what he does. I heard about this dude, and he has the authority from the chief priest to blind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, I think that's interesting. Saul had the authority to blind anyone who comes in the name of Christ. And so God said, well, I'll just blind you instead. All right. And there he has the authority to blind him. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine. Carry my name before the Gentiles and the king of Israel, for I will show you uh, how much he must suffer for the name of my sake. So Ananias departed, entered the house, and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained sight. Then he rose, and he was baptized, taking food, and he was strengthened. Y'all, this is an amazing conversion. Paul, who was killing Christians, gets filled with the Holy Spirit, gets baptized, and the guy who kills Christians becomes one. And not just one, like one of the, the greatest, one of the most boldest, most courageous, most influential Christians of all time. Y'all, this was such a radical conversion. But here's the kicker. How many believe that Saul's conversion was just radical and extreme? Okay. He goes from Christian killer to being Christian. Okay. Many people thought that he didn't need to be converted. Why? Because he was a good, God-fearing man because he was a religious leader. Listen to what Paul says about himself 30 years later about the old him. Watch this. This is Philippians chapter 3, uh, verses 4 through 6. Paul talking about himself when he was before the road to Damascus. He says, if anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, y'all know what that means, right? Confidence, I got it together. I'm a self-made man. Look at me. Look at my house. Look at how I pray. Look at how I look. Look at how I look at me. I, look at me on Instagram. Look at me on TikTok. Well, you, you can look, look. I climbed the corporate ladder. He says, if anybody has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Watch this. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Do you see this? As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under law, blameless. He, Saul has a lot 
to boast about. He, he was a purebred, covenant-keeping, Aramaic-speaking, law-keeping Jew, but he had one thing missing, Jesus. According to the religious system of the day, Paul had everything on the out. Man, he had the part. He had the demeanor. He had the look. He had it all together. He had the right pedigree. He had the right training. He had the what. Everybody say the what. But he didn't have the who. He had the what, but he didn't have the who. The difference between Christianity and religion is an interrogative word. Y'all remember interrogative words back in English, back in fifth grade? When, when you're going to write an essay, you got to answer the five questions, the interrogative words, the who, what, when, where. Y'all remember those? Who, what, when, where, why? Listen to me. Religion is built on what? What did you do? What did you accomplish? What do you believe? I, I hear from people all the time, just well-meaning people. When I ask them about their relationship with Christ, they, they say nothing about the who. They tell me what? Well, I'm, I'm Baptist. I go to OSC. I was baptized Catholic. I go to this church. We believe this. We believe that. It's all built around the what. Before Saul's conversion, his life was built around the what? Circumcised on the eighth day. Tribe of Benjamin, the best tribe, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Memorized the Torah, a Pharisee, all the what? But look what he says after his conversion in a very difficult season in life. You got to get this right because when you walk through a difficult time, it's not the what that's going to get you through, it's the who. Your cancer don't care what church you go to. Your cancer don't care who you voted for in the last election. Your cancer don't care how many Bible studies you attended, how many potlucks you went to, how many people's in your small group. When Paul's going through the most difficult time in his life, he's in prison facing death, and he says, this is why I'm suffering. Yet there is no cause for shame because I know what I believe in. Is that what it says? I know what? I know whom I believe in. When Paul is facing the most difficult season of his life, it doesn't matter what church he went to, what scripture he memorized. He says, I know Jesus. It's about who I believe in. Why? Because Christianity is built on a who. You can add all the interrogative words in your life. You can have all the what's. You can have all the wins. You can have all the where's and all the why's. But if you miss out on the who, you miss everything, boo. You can come to church eight days a week. You can take your next step. You can go with this to cut off, and I'll thank you. You can do all those things, and they're all great, but if you miss out on the who, you miss out on everything. You can be the most loved person in the community. You can have all the friends on the planet. You can accumulate wealth and health and status, but if you miss out on the who, you miss everything. And the problem is we spend all our lives building the what's and the when's and the where's and the why, but we often miss the. Y'all know what Paul said about the other interrogative words? About the, the what's, the when's, the where's, and the why's? Watch what he says. Philippians chapter 3, if you keep reading. But whatever gain I had, I counted loss 
for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus as my Lord. For his namesake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish. Everybody say rubbish. rubbish. Say it again, rubbish. This is crazy. The word rubbish in the Greek, I can't pronounce it, but it's called scupidium. It literally means manure. That's poo-poo for y'all that don't know. Garbage or scraps from a table. Paul says, everything that I gained apart from Christ was like doo-doo, manure, table scraps in comparison to the surpassing worth of knowing Christ. Can we say the same thing about ourselves, that the greatest things in our life are like manure and table scraps in comparison to knowing Jesus? I'm not the bad things in our life are like manure, the greatest things in our life. Now, they're great, but in comparison to Jesus, table scraps. Think about that. The wealth, the notoriety, the accomplishments that we spend in our life accumulating in comparison to even knowing Jesus is manure. Think about that. Jeff Bezos, worth $200 billion. That's amazing. I would take it in a heartbeat. I would. What'd you do? I, I would give it away. I'd give, I would give 199 billion away. I'd, I'd keep one billion for myself. I'd give the rest away. I'm, I'm not gonna lie to you. I'd buy an island somewhere and y'all all come over and we'd have a couchon de lait or something. Okay. All right. $200 billion in comparison to knowing Jesus is manure. Beyonce. I know. All you single ladies love her. I got it. I can bounce my head to it. But all the fame and notoriety and compared to knowing Jesus is manure. LeBron and all his contracts and all of his championships and all the accolades. I wish I had game like him. I wish I was 6'8". But in compared to knowing Jesus... It's just some table scraps. When we, when we realize this, when we realize this, everything changes. Because when, when we realize this, what you brag about changes. What you think about changes. What you aspire to do and be changes. What we're proud of changes. What we boast about changes. Hello, what we post about changes just get on Instagram. People boast about everything, don't they? What they have, how much they make, where they went, who they voted for, whoop de do. Look what Jeremiah the prophet says. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man, the wise woman, are there any wise men and wise women in the house? Watch this. Let not the wise boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches, but let him boast, boast in this. Here's what you need to boast in. Next, next line. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. After, this, after the, Paul has this conversion, that's what he does. 
It's no longer Pharisee, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised, uh, learn the Torah. It's not those things. That's what he no longer boasted. Look what he says. Look what he says the goal is as we finish off this scripture in Philippians. In Philippians 8, he says, here's my goal that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness uh, of my own that comes from the law. It's not about religion. It's not about rules and regulations. That's not what I'm about. He says, but, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming more and more like him in his death. That means by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, if I really want to boast about something, somebody just kill me because I'm going to die for my Jesus. I'll brag about that. What am I saying? I got to close. I got 10 minutes, 20 seconds. I'm going to give you three quick lessons from the road to Damascus as we close. Vic, help me up. Write this down. Number one, Christ plus nothing equals everything. Christ plus nothing equals everything. The flip side of that is true too. Everything minus Christ equals nothing. Christ plus nothing equals everything. In this three-day encounter, y'all, Paul loses everything. Saul loses everything. He lost his job. He can't go kill Christians anymore. He got fired. That was also happened to be his identity. He lost his identity, his job. He loses his sight, his friends, his appetite. He's got nothing. He has nothing. But he has everything. Look what it says. Acts chapter 9. But Saul, brother Saul. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road, he came, he sent me, that you may regain your sight. Isn't that what salvation is really about? That you can finally see? Maybe that's why Jesus said in John 3, those who aren't born again can't see the kingdom of God. When, when you get saved, you start seeing different. He, he regains his sight and it says he's filled with the Holy Spirit. I ain't got nothing, but I got everything. And he finds himself and it wasn't until he lost himself Maybe that's why Jesus says, if a man wants to find himself, he first must lose it. He must lose his life. Paul finds it in Christ. Why am I saying this? Because we spend our entire lives trying to find ourselves in riches, in popularity, in notoriety, in accumulating stuff. People do it in their profession. We do it in the church if I'm elevated, if, I, if I'm promoted. But none of these things will ever make you right before God. Your, your works don't make you worthy. Your, your deeds don't make you deserving. Only Jesus can make you right before God. And he declares Paul righteous. That's amazing. That he would declare this guy righteous. How does he do that? Number two, write this down. Because the grace in Jesus is greater than the sin in you. 
the beginning of chapter 9, y'all, Paul is killing folks. Persecuting Jesus. He's signing off on executions. He's kicking down doors. 19 verses later, he's considered righteous. Why, why would God convert Paul? Here's what I believe. I believe God's design in converting Paul is to give you hope for yourself and the people around you that you think can't be saved. Why? Because there is no one too far gone. There is no sin too bad. There is no evil too wicked that can prevent any of us from receiving the grace of Christ if we repent. I'll say it again. There is no one too far gone, no sin too bad, no evil too wicked that can prevent any of us from receiving the grace of Christ if we just repent. Look what Paul says later. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Next verse says this, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. And he, keeps, and he goes on to say, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. He says, I'm the chief sinner. Ain't nobody did this thing, this sin thing better than me. Y'all, I was backing it up in the club like anybody. I, I was doing my thing. Paul said, I did it worse than, than anybody. I was the ultimate sinner. I was jacked up. But through the picture of Saul's conversion, God shows us overflowing grace, divine mercy, perfect patience, and unending love. And Paul is the kind of person that no one ever expects to be converted. You, you, ever, you, you know those people? You, you, you ever seen somebody walk into church? I mean, y'all used to kick it back in the day. Y'all smoke it up back in the day, do your thing back, and, you know what I'm saying? And you forgot about them, and then one day they, they walked into our Savior's church, and like, good Lord have mercy. What's that sister doing here? I know she ain't got no Jesus in her life. You forgot about the grace that was in your life because you were the same way. I can't believe that dude's up in here. Look at that joker coming up in here. I know what he did last night. Don't discount the grace of God in his life. It's what happens to Ananias. Jesus speaks to Ananias. Go get Paul. Go get Saul. Look at, it. Look at Ananias' response. But Lord, I've heard about this dude. Everybody's talking about him. How much evil he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. Ananias is scared to go and pray with them. Why? Because Ananias forgot about the grace that was in his life and he discounted it to give it to Paul. See, for a moment, Ananias forgot just how strong of a force that grace is. Grace is an unbelievable force. And listen to me. And that grace is available to anybody with breath in their lungs. Don't count anybody out. I ain't talking to him. He's a punk. Maybe that punk needs Jesus. Maybe that's why he's a punk. I love what Spurgeon said. He said, don't bury a man before he is dead. Hope that so long as the sinner lives, he may yet live unto God. All right, I'm closing. I got to go. Number three, 
If you're in him, you must give your life for him. What, what, what am I saying? Jesus not only saves you from sin, he also, Saul, saves you from a wasted life. What a wasted life it would have been if Saul continued on the journey and he lived his life according to his journey, not God's journey. He doesn't just save you to save you. He doesn't just save you and say, okay, don't sin anymore. He saves us to give us an assignment. When Ananias questions Jesus, look at Jesus' response. He says this, Acts 9.15, but the Lord said to him, go for he is a chosen instrument. Watch this. God didn't just save Saul to stop Saul. He saved Saul to redirect him. God didn't just save Saul to get him to heaven. He saved him to give him an assignment on earth. And the zeal that he devoted to stopping the gospel, he was redirecting to spreading the gospel. What am I saying? God didn't just save you to come to church on Sunday. God didn't just save you to say, stop what you're doing. God saved you for an assignment. He saved you for an assignment. And I know what you're thinking. Well, I, I don't know about all that. I mean, I got a past. You know what I did? You know who I did it with? Do you know where I come from? He probably wants to use somebody else, somebody with a better pedigree, somebody who's got more money, somebody who's been saved longer. Yeah, I'm glad Saul didn't have that attitude. We wouldn't be here today. The guy that killed Christians goes on to be the guy who had more boldness than anybody. The guy that traveled thousands of miles preaching with authority. The guy that started over 20 churches in Asia Minor and Europe. The guy that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I guess what I came here today to tell you is if killing Christians couldn't stop Paul from spreading the gospel, what's stopping us? What excuse are we giving him? If we're serious, if we're serious about revival, if we're serious about winning St. Landry Parish, if we're serious about winning souls in Opelousas, if we're serious about touching our community, if we're serious about evangelizing, listen to me, this ain't a Pastor Nick job. This ain't a church staff job. This is all of us lacing up our bootstraps and say, God, give me my assignment. Give me my assignment. Why? Because we all have a part to play. And I think today, you know what God's doing for all of us? He's got the goat out. And sometimes it's painful. Because he's going to ask you to do something. And it's going to cost you. Ah, it's my only free night of the week. I don't want to go to a life group, small group. My favorite TV show comes on that night. I don't know, you know, like a fantasy football. I, he's, he, he's prying, he's prodding. He's trying to get us back on his journey. And will we just say, yes, sir, give me my assignment. Or are we going to get away? Uh, what's it going to be? Today, some of you, God's been tapping on your heart. You've been coming here, maybe this is your first day, and you've never really given your life to him. 
Oh, you came to church. You, you got the t-shirt. You may even have the Old Town bumper sticker. Just like Paul. Look at me. I go. I was there. I got my chair. I got my seat at 9 a.m. And you got the who or you got the what, the when, the where, and the why, but you've missed the what, the who. And the who is prodding you this morning. You've been kicking for a long time. My question is this morning, will you finally just give up? Let him win. Let him take over. That's the first question. The second question is, what area of your life, what secret sin, what's that area? It could be a sin. It could be an attitude. It could be a relationship. It could be an area of dependence apart from God that he's been prodding and you've been fighting. You've been kicking. That's the second question. And third, for some of you, you've got those first two areas right, but you haven't accepted your assignment yet. And he's after something. And he's prodding, poking. He said, I need you, Saul. Let me redirect you. Let me redirect you. Today, here's how I want to close. If you fit in one of those three areas, if today you need to just give your life to Jesus because he's been prodding, and you've done the what and the when and the where and the why, but you've never done the who, if that's you, I'm just going to ask you to stand on your feet. If that's you, just, I need Jesus in my life. If that's you, be bold. Be bold. Remember. You can humble yourself before God who will humble you at some point. Just be bold. Thank you. Thank you for your boldness. Thank you so much for your boldness. Come on, let's give all these a big hand clap for their boldness. Thank you for your boldness. If, number two, if there's areas of your life, you just got to get right. This conviction that's coming and prodding. It's, God's been speaking to you. You've been kicking. And you're saved and you've already given your life to Jesus. But if that's you, would you stand at your feet? Come on, there's areas of your life. You just, you know what? I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of kicking. I got to give this sin to him. I got to give this conviction to him. Come on, thank you. Thank you for standing. Thank you for standing. And then there's, there's many of us in here. I've been fighting against my assignment. I've been content with just coming to church, with just living my life. But I know there's more in me. And I feel the prod this morning. I feel the ox go. I feel it. I know he's asking me to do something. Today is your Damascus Road experience. If that's you, would you stand at your feet? Watch this. What you just did is you humbled yourself. And you said, God, I'm in. For some of you, you're in for salvation. All that means is you repent from your sins. And there's many of us that stood today for repentance. And I just want to pray with them just, just right here. We're all going to join our faith with, with the 10 or 15 people that stood up. If, if you're praying for God to come into your heart one day for the first time today, would you say this with me? Dear Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. Thank you for your forgiveness. I make you the Lord of my life. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. I receive you today as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. For those that are stepping out in your assignment, it's going to take all of us. It's going to take all of us. But thank you for humbling yourself. Thank you for saying I'm all in. We can humble ourselves.
our God will do it for us. We're in this community for a reason. Opposition's gonna come. I've been, I've been, praying, I've been praying against three things the last six weeks. I, I believe the attack, of the, many, the attack of the enemy has been coming in three ways. To distract, to divide, and to discourage us. Distract, divide, and discourage. Let's not give in. Why? Because we all have an assignment. Amen? Let me pray for you, then you can go. Our prayer partners will be up here if you need prayer for anything. They'll, they'd love to pray with you. But if not, Father, thank you for today. God, thank you for the loving prod of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for redirecting us. Thank you for your plans on our journey. God, and for those today who have humbled themselves to go your way. Thank you, God. I believe you're raising up Paul's in this place to preach your gospel. You're raising up godly men and women. God, you've given them an assignment. Thank you for the salvations today. Thank you for those that have said, I'm laying down this sin. Thank you, God. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And God, we're so excited to see what you do in us and through us.